0: Hey everybody, well we just got a chance to get off uh, a call with one of our favorite people on the planet, Dr. Dan Pompa. He's been a huge inspiration in our lives, just massive and and, uh, we had an amazing conversation.
1: Yeah, a lot of what we've been teaching and bringing to all of you has really come through our relationship with him and his mentorship and understanding the world and our bodies in such a different way that we're able to relay that information from a place that brings in that upstream stuff and the detoxification and all that, but then really the bigger thing, the heart of healing.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the the key concepts that we've really appreciated about his teachings is 180 degree solutions. And that is, you know, when everybody's going this way, we go the opposite way. And that's served in so many different ways uh, because it's very common for us to move into a group, group think kind of understanding around things. But when we actually you know, dig in, we listen to those stories, we listen to hope, we, we do the research, we're able to find what actually makes sense for us as individuals. And a lot of that story that he shared today was was about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good one to listen to. It's gonna take you different parts of your brain, different parts of your heart, and we really hope you enjoy it.
0: hey everybody welcome to another episode of health ignited with my lovely wife dr Sonia jensen uh you know it's it's episodes like this where we get a chance to speak with some of our favorite people on the planet and this gentleman we're speaking to today is none other than dr dan pompa he's uh he's been a man i'm just going to introduce you in the way that we know uh we know you dr p but uh, he's been someone who's been near and dear to our hearts for so many years it's very rare where you see this passion light up with, within someone They're they're calling to that higher consciousness and the higher love and their higher spirit. And to be able to share uh, the journey for people in such a profound, emotional, and also just deeply scientific kind of way. And so Dr. Pompa has brought us so many gifts in our practice and has helped change uh, the way that we help people. So Dr. P uh, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: No, I love you all too. And, um, can't spread this message with uh, just one person. You all are impacting thousands. And so thank you for that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you
1: came into our lives at such a perfect timing because I think Nick really was searching for a mentor at that time. And uh, we felt quite alone, I believe, in our, um, in our um, association and with our colleagues and almost misunderstood a little bit too. And then here Mm. we saw you on stage with all this passion and understanding and this deep knowing of wanting to spread, like Nick was saying, this information so that we can heal the world. And we've just loved what you've done for us Mm. as a family and for our practice and everything that you're doing. So I just wanted to say thank you.
2: I appreciate that means a lot to me as well. So thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a thousand different things that, that I love picking your brain on, uh, Dr. Pompa. But one of the things that I think would be most helpful for people going through the challenges of, of the time right now is one of your core concepts and that core concept being 180 degree solutions. And that is, you know, when we're faced with challenge in life, it's it's so common where we kind of just move into our habits. We move into complacency. We we look for someone to tell us what to do. And, you know, I remember hearing stories early on how you've, you've kind of always gone against the grain a little bit and it served you very well. And you talk about this with your history of dyslexia and whatnot, too. But I'd love for you to break down this concept of 180 degree solutions uh, for people.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty simple. If you uh, watch the media, read the media, newspapers, magazines, you name it, whatever advice they're giving regarding health do 180 degrees opposite and somehow you land on the truth every time. You know, it's funny, you know, I, it's like, I, I think that that was just instilled in me from my father, you know, it's in, um, you know, he was a big baseball fan and, you know, he said the best players were the ones that just seemed to move, you know, in an opposite direction, everyone else, right? Like even before the ball was hit, they seemed to gravitate. Uh, they picked up on little clues you know, where the person was like, you know, you know, aiming or, you know, whatever you want to call it in, in baseball, but they would always move opposite and somehow to where the ball was, you know, and I remember there was a, uh, gosh, I was on an airplane. It was, um, it was something about uh, the greatest of all time. It's a documentary and they interviewed and there was a theme there, right? Wayne Gretzky really stood out to me and I'm no big hockey fan, but Wayne Gretzky, when he was a little boy, um, he would sit there for hours and hours and he would just trace where the puck went. This is what he would do as he would watch the hockey game and he would just sit there and he would just trace, 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 trace. And his father would always be like, you know, what, what, what are you doing that for? I don't know. I just like to do it. So the, what made Wayne Gretzky the greatest uh, hockey player ever was the fact that he somehow always knew where the puck was going to be. And, and I believe it was this subconscious tracing of like his subconscious was able to pick up on, you know, just where it was going to be when everyone else was going this way. He absolutely was going in a different direction. And like, how did he end up with the puck? You know, but yeah, you know, that, that is really, it all falls into this 180 degree solution, right? Somehow you do the opposite of where the masses are going and somehow you nail it every darn time, just like Wayne Gretzky. How did he end up with that puck? You know, so that being instilled in me, I always looked at things when the masses were accepting something and I would say, Hmm, maybe it's not right. Right. And and of course there's exceptions to every rule. Right. But, you know, it really became something that I saw in healthcare, especially that when the masses grabbed onto something, you know, there was either some apparent lie or some big mistake and later everyone found out it was absolutely wrong. So that's where it came from Nick. Mm -hmm.
1: I think it takes a lot of, emotional resilience to do something like that because our brains are so wired to go with the grain right to Mm -hmm. go with the or go in the direction that everybody's going in because if we don't we're not in the tribe we're Mm -hmm. kicked out and then our survival mechanisms kind of show up so how do you discern that within yourself or how did you bring that out in you so you're able to discern the information and move in that direction and how can others do that for themselves
2: you know, you know, you're right. It it takes way more energy to go, you know, the other direction for sure. Right. You know, but I I think there's also this thing in me that just, I I love hunting for truth. All right. And there's something that, you know, I just can't stand when people are deceived. And, And, you know, I mean, God, God gives us all different gifts. Right. And one of mine is being able to read a lot of literature and different things and, you know, just be able to look for truth. I have a desire to look for truth and a desire to communicate it. Uh, Because of that, maybe I feel some responsibility when, you know, everyone's going this way. I was like, hey, you're going the wrong way. And of course, that's not always met with um, the best, (laughs) you know, the, the best feedback, you know, coming back at you. But in a certain, you develop a tough skin too, right? You know where it's like, dang it, I'm going to stick up for the truth here, right? Despite it, if it's right, it's right. You know, come on. I mean, I've been wrong. I've been wrong too, right? And um, but you know, most often, you know, the right way is opposite of the way people are going, unfortunately.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now there's something to be said too when when things aren't you know like let's say you take a you take a position and let's say someone you know let's say the you get it wrong. Um, you know, there's a quality within within you and with a lot of people who who choose to be honest and go, you know, what? I got that one wrong. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was following what I the best science that I thought was available to me and I got it wrong. You know, in leadership, we we expect that, you know, in, in a doctor, we expect that. I mean, I don't know how many times it's been where, you know, I've said to a patient, you know, I don't know, but I, w- I will do whatever I can to find out for you. And I'll ask my colleagues and I'll I'll look deeper into this because it forces us to be better. And you know, you're, you're someone who's willing to do that. And I, I gotta say, I love that you brought in Wayne Gretzky. You're talking to a couple of Canadians. Yeah. So, so we know uh, that. The, yeah. the hockey analogy was perfect.
2: <laughs> I was gonna use Mario Lemieux. No, it actually yeah. was great, Wayne Gretzky, yeah. it really was. And it, it's, it was an amazing documentary, you know, when you looked at like the greatest, you know, it's, it's never what you think. You know, Gretzky was not the fastest skater. it wasn't the quickest. What made him so darn great? And I believe it was that, you know, that he just always was going opposite direction, you know, and ended up with the puck was, yeah. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Well, and, you know,
0: I think in the world that we're living in right now, we're, we're being told so many things and so many things feel like they're kind of going this way and that. And, and, and there's this inherent drive, as Sonia said, to, to be a part of the tribe and just sort of keep following, you know, the puck and where it's going um, not, not anticipating where it's actually going to be, which is, which is really the, the, the blessing. So how do you, how do you help people sort of transition into, okay, wait a second, things are maybe not as they seem. Um, how, how do we sort of work through a bit of that cognitive dissonance? And it could be something as simple as like the fat issue, like our fat's bad, you know, all the way up to, you know, our current, you know, uh, Things that are the current crises in the world that we're facing right now, whether it be mass and everything else. But mm-hmm. how do you help people sort of change their trajectory into looking to that anticipatory event of where things could be going versus getting
2: so lost on on the right now? You know, one thing I found right with my ability to remember, um, you know, facts, statistics, studies. There was a time where I thought that would change people, right? Surely. You know, if you just gave them enough information, they'll change directions. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not true. You know, and uh, darn it with the mask thing if I didn't make the same mistake again. Right. Where I literally started acquiring studies that masks don't work and the Cochran collaboration, which looks at thousands of studies. And, you know, they have a way of narrowing in good studies versus bad studies. And I think they looked at masks from 2016 to present. And at that time, I think it was in June, and they came out with they don't work, right? Oh gosh, that's going to be all over the media. Like uh, this will convince everybody, zero crickets, nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know, I fell into my own trap of like what I learned didn't work, just because you know I thought, oh my gosh, everyone's talking about the science, let's bring it, let let's figure it out. Okay, so what I found, even in this current situation, is stories, stories, meaning that you know, you start to tell a story about, you know, how masks affected this young man, right? And, you know, you tell a story about, uh, you know, what's, you know, going on, the fact that, you know, you know, he, here's, here's a group of people that just didn't wear masks, and they're, you know, it's like people can understand stories better than statistics. So, mm-hmm. you know, even with the current thing, uh, with the jab, you know, it's like, look, the stories are changing people. The stories are making people dig a little deeper for the truth. You know, when you tell the story about the person that you knew, you know, that got the jab and let me tell you what happened, people go, hmm, maybe it's not what we think, right? But if you tell just people science, oh, that blows right over their head. They just don't understand. And how could all of these people be wrong? How could all the experts be telling us one thing? Right. You know, th- their brain just can't even accept that. and That was the way it was for the mass. But a story will step people back and say, oh, you know, I don't want to be that. Right. So that's my I, my advice. And, and that's that means it's, it's something we all can partake in. You know, you, you tell the stories of lives that changed, or you tell the stories that lives have been affected. And that's really how you move people.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, we're so emotion driven. And right now, the climate really is so emotional. So everyone's making emotional judgments or decisions. So if you can bring it back to also from the mind, I feel like into the heart, because the mind is always looking for danger. It's always looking for Mm -hmm. Ways out, whereas you know, getting them into their heart a little bit of like the bigger picture of life and why, and questioning and understanding that you know the innate potential that we always speak to—that there is in the body and healing, but also in their own discernment of information. We always we know the truth, but the fear kind of blocks that truth, and we we can't listen to it or we can't hear it.
2: Well, you know, when you look at how the brain works, and you're 100 right what you're saying because we make decisions from the place, the fear place of our brain, the primitive lobe um, is where we can quickly make a decision. The intellectual part of our brain, we don't make decisions there. It's very difficult to make decisions there. We make slower decisions painfully, you know, but so when someone hears something emotional, they can easily go, okay, yeah, well, I'm not doing that right now, right? It's it's very quick. Um, and, and that's really when you think about really how they got people to do what they did, which amazed me. It was very emotional, like, you know, so despite the facts, the numbers, the figures, ultimately, if you knew somebody that this virus affected um, that was, I'll put quotes around it, healthy, well, that that was enough fear right there, you know, to fall right into place with what they're telling you to do, right? But see, it worked against everybody because it was the exceptions. It was not the norm. It wasn't the real reality, right? It was, there was, you know, yeah, he said he was healthy, but when you looked into it further, this, you know, they weren't, right? I mean, there was something going on. And then you even complicate that by people that got flu shots from 2015 on, they had certain COVID strains that caused younger people to react very negatively to the virus. So there was a lot of factors, but again, it was those stories that really lock people into like, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. So we have to use it now the opposite. We have to use the stories, right? To, you know, get people to think a little different. Mm-hmm.
0: How much do you feel like um, this perpetual toxicity burden that we're facing, um, you know, that, that eventually makes this way into the brain? I mean, you mentioned just the history of people with flu shots and different mm-hmm. things or higher susceptibility for, you know, new emerging... Issues from tick bites to yeast to to the next virus or what have you. How much of a role do you think this chronic inflammatory state that's showing up in our body is affecting this cognitive dissonance, or maybe some of these decisions that we make? And you know, because we see this a lot with the addiction people that we work with, they just make bad decisions typically because they keep doing the same thing because they can't really open up that lens anymore. Their their, their brain is so inflamed, their their decision making ability is just not there. So I'd love for you to take what we're talking about and sort of take that into that inflammatory effect that's showing up in in a lot of people's brains,
2: you know, just in the last 10 years, it's stunning of how much worse what you just said has gotten. And, And to the point where even my children, their generation, um, I just, I keep reminding them that, look, you're going to be the leaders. Just don't get, and my kids are kind of beyond that now, but if I take my language back even five years ago, just don't get hooked on drugs and you're going to lead, lead your generation, right? Meaning that there's pitfalls. Don't fall into those. But because you stand so clearly different in how your brain works, the health of your brain, to your point, you will, in fact, be looked at, you know, to lead. And that's exactly what's happening with my, you know, my twins will be 25 coming up this September, my 23-year-old, 20, uh, 21-year-old. And now even my uh, 17 year old, you know, it's, they, they are absolutely stand different in their health than their friends, clearly. And those that do stand different will be the leaders of that generation. will lead them out of where they're at because most of my uh, kids' friends are taking Adderall just to, you know, they're smoking marijuana, uppers, downers, you name it, stimulants. I mean, this is the generation um, psychotropic drugs to take another step further. I haven't even talked about street drugs, right? I'm just talking about the ones that are, you know, prescribed, if you will. Well, okay, marijuana is not. Well, uh, maybe today it is prescribed some places. So that, that's kind of crossing over. That's why I didn't know where to put it. But the fact is, is that the, what we have is a perfect storm. We have, a, you're right. Most of these toxins that people are so massively being overwhelmed with, um, even heavy metals from the time in utero from their parents. Now they're uh, we're being exposed to massive levels of a chemical called glyphosate, which is sprayed on the food. Scientists from MIT and others are showing how that one chemical is allowing these other neurotoxins to go right into the brain. It opens up the protective barrier of the bl- brain called the blood-brain barrier. It's calls it causing more neurodegenerative conditions than we've ever seen before. Dementia. Alzheimer's and just, you know, back up before you would even get one of those diagnosis. Well, it's causing massive brain fog to your point. If they can't even think their way through a logical decision to make a logical decision or, or you know, at least one that took some thought. So it's easier then just to do what you're told or it's easier just to do what everyone else does because it's becoming so more difficult for people to literally pick up something and actually read something of value that would help them make a better decision because the brain is just in survival mode. Nick, I don't know the percent, Sonia, I don't know the percent of people that you know are functioning that way, but I'm telling you, it's massive. And it is to the to your point, it is these neurotoxins. These are types of toxins that cross into the nerve system, into the brain, and are causing massive amounts of brain fog in people. And that's where it starts is brain fog. I just can't, think. I can't even read. I can't even remember what I read anymore. So why should I bother? You know, decisions, they're overwhelming to me. I have this anxiety. I just, they're just showing up to work. They're doing what they're doing and they're in survival mechanism. And that's a bad place to be. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, I can't, help but think like, I mean, you were kind of there, like when you tell your story about this, chronic overwhelm you know where you're you're laid out you're so fatigued you know you talk a lot about how what what your recovery process was like my goodness throw a pandemic on top of someone who's dealing with this heavy PTSD head trauma chronic toxicity it's kind of like just just get me through I mean this is kind of how we feel when we've got a fever or something it's like I just want to feel better right, right. And, and people I just want this thing this pandemic to be over with let's get on with it you know yeah. it's like yeah, I can see why people get stuck in that type of thinking and just want someone to tell them what to do. It's yeah, it's- I, I totally. I
2: you know, I mean, I you're right. I was there, you know, and I I did lose my brain, and I just you know getting through the day was enough. Like, let alone make a decision for my family that was going to potentially affect us one way or another. At that point, I'm just I'm yielding, you know, to mm-hmm. whoever, right? So yeah, great point.
1: Mm-hmm. And then you think about the generations to come so if there's a a young family that's dealing with this within themselves and now you know the wife gets pregnant and she's dealing with her own stresses all those hormones and everything are now going into through the placenta all the toxicity is going there and now kids are being born with adrenal insufficiency or these toxic levels and getting diagnosed with adhd when they're going to school it's like it's this perpetual cycle that keeps happening so where do you start with somebody? Like, how do you, because when somebody's stuck, it's like time has frozen in that moment. So how do you like unstick them from their habits or from their lens or, or help them widen their lens so they can really see that? I know you're using yeah. stories, but is there some like other ways through the physical body so that there's more clarity? Yeah,
2: look, I mean, honestly, you can watch somebody come out of that state you know, and you, you know, I mean, my detox, the, the detox you all do in your office, mm-hmm. right? We bring them through a prep phase, bring them through a body phase, ultimately to get them to a brain phase. And that's how I got my life back, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how we see thousands of people get their lives back. You can see that starting to come back. And, and again, I, look, I, I don't want to make it sound simpler than it is, meaning, oh, just, just take this and hey, your brain comes back because you, you see enough of that from social media, you see enough of that, you know, just everyone hucking a product. Uh If it was as easy as Prevagen, right. Um, You know, Hey, why even we wouldn't even have a job, but it's not right. We, we have to literally in layers, get these toxins out of the brain, but as they come out, yeah, it's like you, you get a new, the world opens up. Right. I mean, I remember I, you know, I wish I would have documented my own story much better as far as like what, you know, these breakthroughs, right? And of course I would pull back and start to feel the way I was and I'd almost get panicked. You know, it's like, but it, it just kept evolving, you know, to the, where I, uh, to, to the point where I could think again, right? Where I wouldn't get overwhelmed with a, just a simple decision because that's where I got to. I couldn't make any decision. I, I, I remember standing in my closet, looking at my shirts and I would get anxiety because I couldn't pick one. I mean, I'm not kidding. It was like my brain literally was that challenged neurotoxically that to pick a shirt was, you know, just too much for me. Imagine making life decisions for my family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you kind
0: of laughed at that, but at the same time, like this is a serious reality for so many people. I, I just had, we had an interview with an amazing, um, Medical doctor named Dr. Mark Gordon. He he was a concussion specialist. He was featured on uh, Quiet Explosions, uh, an amazing documentary all about you know concussive injury and whatnot. And he was, they were saying that he works a lot with veterans and you know people post war and and he was saying that like it was expected about 20 million Americans per year are suffering from these head injuries, and and this is just one like of you know of these events that lead to the perfect storm that you're speaking to but the amount of trauma that that lingers over time you know i I, th- I really think that we're not really paying enough attention to that so i'd love for you to sort of talk a little bit more about this chronic inflammatory state what's happening in the blood brain barrier is you know even ptsd to the toxicity let's let's break down a little bit more and why that that
2: becomes such a vulnerable area in the body you know you mentioned you know ptsd post traumatic you know stress disorders uh, you know that are just rampant right now. You you mentioned concussions, right? You know, here's the interesting thing. And I talked about my own story, just mercury crossing into my brain. It's all the same. You know, the body doesn't know the difference of stress, right? Whether it's physical, chemical, or emotional. And I always like to reference what I call a perfect storm. When you have three stressors that come together, that's when the bottom falls out. Tora Bright, um, she was a, a client of mine, uh, she was, I don't know if you know who she is, but a double Olympic gold medalist uh, in snowboarding. She had been to the best of the best for her concussions. Um, her concussions went, took her out of the sport, but it went beyond um, just not being able to do her sport, massive brain fog, she became unfunctional, right? I mean, just, you know, it was it just the uh, head trauma. Well, when I worked with her. I worked with her a little differently. I looked at it as like, I looked at her history and was like, man, she was loaded up with other neurotoxins, just mercury being one of them, very similar to me. And me realizing that the head traumas, uh, yeah, there's studies that show that head traumas allow neurotoxins to penetrate even deeper and drive more inflammation in the brain. Um, But I realized though, that she had this accumulating effect um, of these physical chemical stressors and that's the way i approached it so you know got her into a brain phase did multiple fasts for her because you know magic happens during fasted states, especially with concussion and head and brain traumas but it was a multi-therapeutic approach of dealing with the chemical stress and the physical stressors you know and then doing something like fasting where the body naturally can de-inflame especially neurotissue like the brain so, I, you know, I mean, I remember at one of my seminars, I showed like some of the top neurologists um, in the world talking about fasting and why fasting can change the brain so rapidly. My own daughter hit her head and we fasted her and, you know, she was just blown out. Now, if she didn't do that, she would have brain complications uh, for years to come, if not forever, you know, but we fasted her immediately. And that happened twice to her, by the way. So the bottom line is, is that you you can't just look at it in your area to deal with post-traumatic stress, head trauma. whatever you, there, it, It's a combination of these stressors and you have to peel back all of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And that's what we love that you talk about those upstream factors and you talk about the foundation of everything, because I mean, my lens is very much hormones, so I'll look at a woman's hormones and how things are affecting them, but I'm teaching them that that's an effect, not a cause. But often we're labeling these other things as causes, and then we're just looking at that and just looking at it through that lens. And we forget that these foundational things like fasting, detoxifying, just cleaning up the communication
2: Mm -hmm.
1: is going to be the thing that's going to help support your hormones, your nutrients, your vitamins, everything to do what they need to do.
2: Yeah. You no, know, and you, Sonia, you really have mastered, you know, helping women through complicated hormone issues. But, you know, to your point, right? If it were only as so easy as just to give somebody hormones, whether it be bioidentical, regular, then of course there's a time and a place. You know, but most hormone issues are there's something going on upstream. You know, how many people practitioners, functional medicine, alternative, regular, are digging for those upstream stressors to why your hormones are dysregulated. And by the way, you know, the main control tower of all your hormones in the body sits in the brain, the pituitary hypothalamus. You know, that's like in an airport, when you see that big tower that's literally directing every plane to come in. You know, if you took that out, planes would literally be crashing You know, that's what's going on with hormone havoc in people's bodies, right? Mm -hmm. Because the control tower, where do most neurotoxins bioaccumulate according to studies? yeah, right in the control tower, right in the pituitary hypothalamus, right? The hypothalamus takes in all of the information, just like the guys on the radio up in the tower. Then they're telling people to tell, you know, the pilots what to do. And there's a group telling them, okay, you're going to land on this, you know, this runway, da, da, da. And this, it looks so easy. It goes on day after day in a healthy body or a healthy airport but i'll tell you what one guy comes in drunk one day and bad things happen right yeah. that's why they have such <laughs> analogy yeah I'm, I'm gonna roll with this example in the future it's a good one yeah. but the fact is is that's what happens like you know yeah. so slowly these neurotoxins are crossing into the brain you know and it's like one more you know brain fog person showing up uh you know that got by the ftc and is working in the control tower you, know, you you put five of those guys in there and now you know bad things are you know happening. So anyways, yeah, we, we have to still look upstream even for hormones.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I think that's so poorly misunderstood too is just the the environmental acute environmental impact of toxicity exposure. Remember you're talking about even just sometimes going to a gas station and just smelling the fumes and like that's getting I don't think people really appreciate the fact that that's literally getting into your brain just like that, you know, and, you know, we're talking about you were talking about the jab earlier. I, I just realized that, you know, one of those 180 degree solutions or understandings is that people think that it just you put the jab and it just stays right there. It doesn't go anywhere. It just magically somehow compartmentalizes there. And there's that Japanese study showing that, you know, the nanoparticles of the the lipid particles were getting into the ovaries and the testes. You know, there's some concern about the blood brain barrier. You know, we're seeing some of the side effects of clotting and stuff like that. You know, to think that something just, you know, maybe either magically stays in a certain area, does not penetrate your brain or, or somehow your body just magically eliminates it. I mean, these are all these perceived misunderstandings that are causing a huge amount of confusion for people.
2: I I don't think it's any of our role to tell someone to get the jab or not. Right. But, you know, our cry is my goodness, you know, you understand, number one, that it's a phase three trial right now, meaning that this has never been tested. Right. They're testing on you. Okay, so I've chosen to be in the uh, pl- the placebo group, right? You know? <laughs> it's like, control. I've chosen to be in the control group. Thank you. Um, you know, that's me, you know, but the, the point though is, is that, look, you know, we are in uncharted territory, right? It's like, so our, I think every one of our parents would say, hey, look, I wouldn't do that, right? Meaning that I wouldn't do this because there's a danger to you without looking into it further, you know, don't be the first one to do. I mean, all the advice would be all over it. So we're taking this great risk, you know, because the experts already have been way wrong. I mean, already that, I don't know, one of the scientists um, for um, one of the companies basically was like, okay, we know why it's causing these bleeds, right? Because it's, we thought it was going to stay in the cytoplasm, but a lot of it's entering into the, the nucleus of the cell, but Whoa, it's okay. We know how to fix it. <laughs> Uh, you know, how many deaths? I mean, what, what is going yeah. on, right? Okay, so, you know, we, we've been told to be more cautious about our health, and yet we're taking this great risk in why. Okay, you know, everyone knows somebody that COVID affected, et cetera, et cetera, but the facts still don't lie. And here I go with facts again, and I told you don't lead facts. But regardless, 99.7, 99.97 survival rate and we're doing something that has, you know, is, is having massive health problems and healthy people, for goodness sakes. I'll tell you a story right here in, in uh, Utah. Father and son got the jab, and he was 17 year old basketball star. Well, rushed to the hospital, uh, basically bleed from his aorta in his brain, right? Life's threatening situation. The father, is dealing with his son, denying his own symptoms. He ends up in the hospital. I believe he's still in the hospital, and he has multiple uh, pulmonary emb- uh, embolisms that are happening because of bleeds. They can't even count, and he's life or death situation. And one more story. I was on the phone um, a week ago with one of my clients from the UK, and I I didn't recognize her, and. I was said, what, you know, wow, what, what happened? I could tell something was not right. And she says, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you, you know, I went ahead and did this so I could see my father because he's 78 years old. He said that wouldn't see me without it. I did it. Okay, she was obviously um, in a massive state of uh, autoimmune and her father is now on his deathbed, um, not able to speak, you know, he had a brain bleed a hemorrhage, you know, so, I mean, th- this this is the reality. Now, don't you think um, that even if 5% of the population were nowhere near that was dying, that it would still be wise to make sure that something was safe before we give it to our family? Of course, that's the logical sense, but they the fear, as we said before, they utilize fear, but let's now shift that fear to make a better decision. And make sure something's safe before we do it. Absolutely.
0: You know, on the, on the topic of um, 180 degree solutions, again, I mean, just, just to go back to another story. um, uh, One that you faced with great, great challenge was, was Daniel, when he, you know, Daniel had this, uh, Dr. Pomper's son had this massive, massive accident, Mm -hmm. was, uh, was playing with his friends or jumping off cliffs, like, like all of us young folks have done in the past. And had this massive injury and and miss miscalculated the jump or what have you and um i mean you guys are faced with a decision that you know 99.9 percent of the people would have said let's do surgery i mean it, it was remarkable to hear this healing story that that you took your son through and and i would I'd love for you to touch in on yeah. some of these things because where i'd love this conversation to go is into like resiliency building resiliency trusting and, you know, having faith and, and applying, you know, this multi-therapeutic approach, but I'd love for you to share a little bit about that journey of, of going in a different direction.
2: By the way, a lot of things that um, we took my son into a miraculous healing you all do in your office, but you know um, it was a tough decision, just to give you a little bit of the background. My, My son and his friends were jumping off this 60 foot cliff into the water And my son decided uh, to go first, where the kid who jumped there before was going to the bathroom in the woods. And he decided just to let's get this over with, I guess. And he jumped what logically looked like the way to go. Um, You clear the first little bluff. And, but the problem was he did that. And then he looked down and realized there was another. And literally dropped 50 feet, almost at terminal velocity and hit. Um, his heel first and then square on his butt. And I mean, you should have seen that picture. I mean, it, it was black and oh, gosh, but it, he just hit. And of course, right there, that impact would have killed most people on the spot. First miracle was that. Second miracle was, you know, he hit and then he just flopped in the water. There happened to be a boat there that pulled him out because he would have drowned. The third miracle was the fact that he should have been paralyzed. The doctors couldn't figure out every bit of the bone fragments. Two vertebrae just shattered completely. They moved forward, not into the spinal cord. So another absolute miracle. But we were faced then with a decision where they were saying, we have to come in from the anterior, uh, open him up, and then they're going to fuse. They're going to take all those vertebrae out. And put a cage in metal cage and fill it with the bones, the pieces basically. And I said, "Look, I give me 24 hours. You know, I could advise my son correctly because you know he was an adult at that point." And uh, they said that's reasonable. They had to kind of wait anyway, make sure there was no clots, etc. And um, I spent the night digging through studies, and I, and I found two that were d- dealing very much with exactly what we were dealing with, and the ligaments, the stability of the ligaments played the biggest role. And they told me that all of the ligaments were ruptured. So it looked like we were to do the surgery, that it was gonna be the best outcome. Then the head surgeon, we were in a conversation and he said something regarding, um, I said something, well, I guess it, you know, because all the ligaments are ruptured, then we would. And he said, well, we don't know that for sure. We're assuming that. I'm like, well, is there a way that we can know for sure? Because the studies showed that was a really important factor. So, fast forward, um, they did an MRI upon Daniel and my request, and they weren't all ruptured. Matter of fact, one of the big stabilizers was still intact. And um, we opted out. They thought we were absolutely nuts. They did. They said, Well, we'll have to do some stabilizing x ray in a few weeks. Um, And he looked at my son and said, Daniel, don't get your hopes up. You know, there's no way your spine's going to hold. Well, in that time, two half weeks, um, the x-ray, it did hold. And not only that, they were stunned at the amount of healing that we did in that time. And again, mm-hmm. as I said, a lot of the things that we did for my son, you all do in your clinic. But, um, you know, my son has no metal on his back. We opted out of the surgery. To your point, I believe a 1,000 out of a 1,000 because of the fear that they put us on you know, would have done that surgery and rightfully so. I mean, you know, who could think around that? Um, But having a little bit of information, I was able to make a different decision and uh, my son's amazing. Uh, you know, he's amazing.
1: Well, it's information and trust, you know, the tr- trust in the medicine that you do deliver and also in the body and in his healing and knowing his foundation. I think that plays a huge role in anybody's yeah. healing.
2: Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's true. And he was bound to determine. I mean, I did every possible thing. um, And my son was, did everything I told him. I mean, you know, so I'm saying me, but it was the, you know, really the two of us Mm and, you know, mom was involved too. And, but I mean, I dragged, once we got him home and we got him home in two weeks, because once we adopted out of the surgery, they were just like, psh, 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 you know, <laughs> get, get him out. There's nothing we can do. We don't want to change his bed pants. Although I was, <laughs> uh, you know, so that was a little bit difficult, but, um, you know, I would drag him out in the sun in his hospital bed from the thing. I had it near the door because I was putting him in the sun every day, remodeling the bone. And, you know, I mean, I was grounding him. I mean, that we were doing TRT pulse uh, eggs, I mean, you name it, we did it all. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, so again, the first miracles, I that was all God, this, you know, after that, I applied what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, that's why I wanted you to share the story. Because, you know, I think it's so often where we sort of lose faith, we lose faith in the body, we lose faith in our ability to make decisions that that, that serve ourselves serve, serve our communities, serve our families. And and really, I wanted this this really to be a message of hope and of, of a way to really understand and appreciate that discernment. And if there's a way to tune in to that, that knowing within and that space within, you know, like you talked about the, the professional snowboarder, you created space by teaching her and encouraging her to fast and letting the body heal. And, you know, when we're faced with challenge, you know, whether it's like this outside treatment is going to be the only protection for you. It's so disempowering. It's so Mm. dismantling to our nervous system to think that we don't have power over our own bodies and we can actually work with that healing power of our body. And so I'm so glad that you shared that story. And I've been for a couple of years now, I've been really wanting to get you to share that story in our podcast because I think it's just so important. We need to know that we can trust and hope. We need to know that we can trust in the healing power of the body and that we need to know that we can research we can research for ourselves we can we can ask those questions we can listen to these stories because that story that you just shared and that you've shared with many many people is is this message of hope and that's what we need right now i I think that's a powerful healing tool in and of itself um so yeah i'm so glad you got a chance to share that
2: You, you know um it was partly a question you asked earlier you know and or maybe sonia asked it you know it's how you come to these decisions, what gave me the courage um, to um, move in an opposite, very opposite direction than the, the expert's advice was, right? Uh, you know, intuitively, I don't, you know, I wanna, I trust and verify, right? Meaning that I had no reason not to trust his opinion, right? It was nothing personal against the, the head surgeon there. I believe that he believed that that surgery was the only way to go for my son. So no criticism there at all, by the way. However, my major premise is very different than his and most people's and so is yours. But I believe that we need to examine our major premise. That means our major beliefs that really determine how we make decisions in our life. And, you know, you tipped your hand there in you know, your major premise is that you truly believe the body has an ability to heal itself. We we decisions we make in us and our children's lives are underneath that major premise. Right. And here's the good and the bad news. If your major premise is wrong then typically every decision and everything under that ends up to be wrong and bad decisions. Right. So maybe people watching this, their major premise is, you know what? I trust the experts. They've got it figured out. And I might look at the life and the outcomes and say, well, how's that working for you? maybe it worked a few times, you know, but I believe that modern medicine today is really the premise is man will figure it out. Man has all the answers. I run a different premise than that. I believe God has designed our bodies in such a way that we can't ever duplicate the healing. It can't, we can never figure out what the body can figure out. So my goal is to remove interference, let that body, let innate intelligence do the healing. But see, but I'm so deep in that major premise that I know my sun body can heal. I know if we just let it alone, remove the interference, give it everything that it needs, sunshine, but you know, you know, the vitamin D, the K2, and everything that formulates bone, give it, remove all the stuff, you know, and it'll heal. I believed it, that I was able to go 180 degrees opposite that that advice. And you know what? The the I remember the one I I wish I could have got the head surgeon's uh, comments, but the other surgeon said, you know what? I was on uh, one of the naysayers. I'll admit, but you know what? you did the right thing. I'm 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 amazed, right? And that's when yeah. she looked at the you know the X-ray, you know the second one, you know after it was just like holy cow, you know even even me I was like wow, you know. But <laughs> again, though, I mean how do we we have to we. All of us, even other premises, we have to look at our major premises, especially in times like these. What do you believe, right? And, you know, maybe you, maybe we have a false major premise, whether it's about money, whether it's about health. But if it's wrong, we end up looking at our lives, going, "How did I get here?" Probably because one of your premises is wrong. And you know what? Oftentimes, someone we love gave us this false major premise, right? That with with good intentions, but needless to say you know, it, it led us to a lot of bad in our life. So we can change it. Right. Right. We can change those premises. I've changed many, you know, yeah. uh, along the way going, wow, is I wrong about that? I got to think about that different, you know, yeah. and then watch your life change when you change that major belief. Yeah. Yeah, you, you nailed it.
0: I mean, yeah. That's why we love you right there. What you just (laughs) shared that was brilliant. That was amazing.
1: Yeah, you know, because our neurons, they form those circuits and those patterns and they're stuck there. And I remember listening to a neuroscientist once and she said it's a metabolic expense in the body to break them. So it has to really come from this belief and from this faith and this like like commitment to understanding it so we can break it and then create those new ones that are actually going to serve us. Because if you look at medicine way back before, it was about that. It was about this foundation and utilizing nature and the body and, and how connected that is, but we've just forgotten. So I think it's really about remembering it's all there. It's just about helping other people remember that within them again.
2: Yeah. You know, every bit of healing, really, it does start with thoughts. And, and Sonia, to your point, it, it's, it's so powerful because we talked a little bit about a toxic brain and how hard it is to make decisions. We can take this conversation to a whole nother step, you know, and the scientific word is called neuroplasty. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we look at how the brain's wired, what you just said, right, we realize that the decisions we make for better, for worse is a wiring um, typically. And, and unfortunately, many of us wire in fear patterns and we're making poor decisions because we can't even think outside of it any other way, but we can change that wiring. We can change our wiring even to a body that heals better than a body that doesn't. And, you know, and, and this, it sounds a little woo woo, but I'm telling you, this is scientific fact, right? We, we have people that are, they're blown out, uh, part, you know, most of their brain with a stroke. And yet working with the right therapist that knows neuroplasty can go around those massive traumas and rewire the brain and get somebody to talk again, move limbs again. I mean, it's pretty miraculous. Um, You know, there's a a, a book, I wish I had it right here, a a book that I'm reading called um, uh, The Brain, uh, The Brain That Changes Itself. Oh, yeah. Dr. Norman Doidge. Yeah, Norman Doidge. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I think that's good for our viewers because um, it's stories. He teaches Mm -hmm. in stories, but it's the history of neuroplasty. But after you read enough of the stories, whatever you're dealing with, from an emotional trauma to a physical trauma, something that's not healing, something bad. I, I think you'll have the courage to realize your, your, your premise of where healing comes from will change. I promise you that, mm-hmm. you know, but I think it'll g- give you the courage that in hope that, wow, you know, my healing starts with I'm thinking different, you know, and dang it, I'm going to think different. And I'm telling you that that at first intention will set off, you know, just, uh, you know, literally a, a whole different you know, outcome in, in your future.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're talking my jam, Dr.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: this is the stuff yeah. I love. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I don't know if you want to answer, ask any other questions before I ask. Me. No, I, I think. Yeah, this is just, a good it's place. It's so to. good. Yeah. So, so good. my question for you. I mean, you've had so many different experiences in your life, where you've seen your son challenged, and you've seen yourself challenged in your physical body, and, you know, we have these moments that bring up these challenges but we build resilience from it we build a different lens from it as well and we come so close to I believe there's a veil between like birth and death like even with our thoughts and with our, the way the body's healing there's there's always a cells always dying and another one's being reborn and you know if you were to look at your life in, to- in totality and knowing that maybe tomorrow was it what's the imprint that you want to leave on the rest of the world
2: Wow, you know, I'll tell you, you know, I, I think we've all, and you've heard me say this, you know, I believe we all have a purpose. Yes. But I think it goes beyond purpose into promise, you know, and, you know, that promise that God gave me when I was sick to my wife, that, you know, not only was I going to get well, but take a message to the world, you know, that message I have recently, you know, God laid in me, that he was carrying that legacy through my children. And, you know, um, I just got goosebumps because, you know, I feel like some of that has already been accomplished, you know, but it it is the, honestly, so much of the message that we just spoke about in this interview, you know, is what still excites me more than ever, you know, that the body can heal itself, you know, and looking in these areas where most people aren't of what's really needing to be removed, including our thoughts, you know, as we just discussed, right? Right um uh, yeah that, that that's really it and bringing you know a unique way um of detoxing the brain to the world you uh, know that you know that i hope is my legacy
1: it is You're it's living on in us, us and yes.
0: yeah and i mean i couldn't help but think as well when you were speaking about your son just you know you talked about it as the the central unit of what your family went through but the impact that you had on on the surgeons on that hospital, the stories that reverberate after you guys have been there. And, you know, and then that's that's that same message that goes through every patient we work with, through, you know, every talk you every, you know, every conference you teach at, the the permutation into each of these stories that you spoke of at the beginning that were so important for people to really anchor in because we do remember those stories. Mm-hmm. And those stories become part of that belief system, that new structure, that new way of operating in our own lives, but also that new way of really appreciating this relationship to Mother Earth and God and, and, and everything that makes us or allows us to move into our healing and our, and our purpose, as you mentioned. So yeah. uh, the brilliance with which you speak, Dan, I mean, I remember saying, pulling you aside at one point when we I think we just signed on to be docs with you. And I said, Dan, I want to do what you're doing. And, and I truly feel like I am now. And I'm so grateful to you. We, we are so grateful yeah, you
2: to you. Are. Yeah, I love you both. And you are doing it in a big way and making a difference and a, and, a, and a legacy, right? Butterfly effect. I haven't spoken on it in a long time, you know, but it's these little waves that we make that end up to be, you know, hurricanes on another part of the world, right? And an effect that it can have. So y'all are having a bigger effect than you think.
1: Thank you. Thank you
2: so much.
0: Well, this was an amazing uh, episode. I can't wait for people to, to tune in. Uh, Dr. P, there's going to be a lot of doctors that, that want to keep learning from you. What are the best ways? I mean, you're on social media, thanks to, I think, the, the whole family helping support your your platforms and everything. But what are the best ways that, that you think people can follow? You've obviously got Cell TV.
2: Um, but please share. Uh, yeah, all I mean, the the, the podcast resources. is one way. It's, if you just go to cellularhealing.tv, pretty easy. Um, you can get to the podcast. Also, my website drpampa.com, um, and you can access uh, a lot there as well. Yeah, amazing. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So much love to you, Dan. Thank yeah. you. Likewise. Thanks, guys.